Okay, for the first cyclist uh, for the podcast, we've got um, quite rightly an Irish cycling uh, legend now. I would say the son of a legend, and now after completing 20 Grand Tours, quite rightly a legend himself. It's uh, the guy that was responsible for me first moving to Monaco here, uh, what, seven years ago? It's Nicholas Roach. How are you? Hey, very good, Eugene. So, how are you feeling after? Well, first start with uh, recently you've just completed the Tour de France, um, what, your ninth Tour de France. I don't know how you guys do that. Well, I do know in a way because whenever I ride with you guys here and you just disappear up hills, I understand pretty quickly there's a different level. I need an engine and you guys don't. Yeah, well, um, you know, uh, the same thing. I drive the, the motorbike quite often and when I'm stuck in the, my second gear, I wonder how you guys go all the way to sixth gear. So <laughs> I, th- I think I reverse the compliment to you guys too. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, we... We, uh, you don't wake up one morning and saying I'm gonna ride a Tour de France. It kind of builds up through, through your lifetime basically since the day you start cycling all the way till you turn professional. And and even then when you turn professional, there are steps to be made until you actually ride the Tour. But uh, yeah, I was quite happy to to finish my ninth Tour de France. I got um, I was a bit worried. I had a, I got sick in the, in the last five six days and then uh, I also hit the deck pretty hard. And I was like, no, Nico, I'm not giving up. I'm gonna finish. I didn't want to have a um, a black mark on, on my records and I really last year was my first abandon in a Grand Tour after 19 Grand Tours finished in a row and I just did not want to abandon another one so I kind of struggled the last couple of days but uh, uh, I got through it um, just symbolically it was nice to, to get it done yeah it's no uh, mean feat making it to Paris especially after that but I didn't realize until uh, I saw when you'd written on uh, Instagram 20 Grand Tours done I was like wow I knew you'd been doing it for a few years uh, we met I think 2011 wasn't when we, we did a TV show together back in Ireland and uh, you'd have a few grand tours under your belt back then but to mind up 20 that's something else yeah most years I've been riding two um, I mean you know a lot of riders do not like to ride two grand tours in the year um, I believe that uh, it was my my strength over the years that I could do two grand tours and my downfall was I wasn't as performant on a one-day race, but I was making up my, my kind of lack of performances on one-day races over my better performances in Grand Tours. So I always tried to optimize every year my calendar around two Grand Tours. Um, and, and obviously when you, know, uh, when you add up the years in the peloton, the, you add up the years going into the Grand Tours too. But uh, yeah, you had it when, when I posted it and I started reflecting on it, it's a lot of time uh, riding your bike around France, Italy and Spain. Yeah, it doesn't even bear thinking about how many kilometers you've done uh, in your lifetime. I think what you've done probably in uh, the last 12 months is more than what I've done in my lifetime even. Yeah. so. Well, riding the bike is one thing, but imagine the amount of kilometers we do sitting in a bus going from uh, <laughs> the hotel to the start and then the start to the finish. It's uh, I, I cannot imagine how many kilometers I've done just sitting in the bus there, reading a book or listening to music, just doing nothing, trying to get from <laughs> one point to the other. Yeah, and, and so going um, back then, you've been doing that for quite a long time now, when we talk about when you first turned uh, professional back in uh, 2006, but we'll go right back to the start and go through then. So um, we all know your dad, Stephen, uh, what he achieved um, in 1987 when you were three years old. So you were born right into cycling with your dad winning the tour and uh, being a world champion. And there's photos of you as, as a kid then at three. Do you remember uh, any of those uh, images or is that just uh, the photographs that refresh your memory yeah I mean you, you're spot on there uh, all, it feels like I know every story 
and that I've lived every story and I did live every story, but all my, my you know, I mean, no, you don't expect to remember what, what you lived when you're three year old, but I've heard so many times stories over and over again from my grandparents, from friends of my dad or people who were just watching it on TV. And I remember this, I remember that. And they tell me the story and uh, there's, a, there's a moment where you almost feel that it's a bit your story. Yeah. And then, you know, on that you look at TV and you see photos of yourself in the arms of my granddad uh, when my dad's going through the line on the Champs-Élysées. And is, you know, I, I just, I've seen all these pictures. Um, I know all the stories that go around the picture. And it kind of feels like uh, I remember, even though it's all uh, all made up uh, from from what I gathered. Yeah, that's bizarre, isn't it? Because then you'd almost have to differentiate between what's uh, your memory and then what <laughs> are other people's memories, stories that have been told to you. Uh, but yeah, you were so young back then. Even when I rode a motorbike, I don't remember the first times. And I kind of have images in my head. And I think, is that just something that I've maybe had a dream about? Because somebody told me I started when I was three and then I kind of imagine it. But in reality... You don't remember back then, do you? No, I, I think my first kind of memories were around when I was five, six, uh, towards the end of his career, uh, 92, 93, so the last two years. I just remember, uh, I, I have this clear image of waiting for my dad. We were in Classica San Sebastian, which actually I raced last week. And uh, I always remember waiting in the, um, in, in the hotel lobby uh, with my mother because my dad had crashed severely and opened his head up. Uh, and I remember just waiting in the lobby and we, you know, at the time there was no mobile phones or WhatsApp or whatever. So you just kind of had to wait for my dad to come back from the hospital. And we were there hours waiting in the lobby for him to come back um, from, from, from hospital after crashing out. Uh, and I remember the, the, the anxiety of my mum and the stress. And we had, we were told, you know, back then they, well, he wasn't wearing a helmet anyway. And uh, uh, we just know that he had split his his head and he had 25 stitches on his head and it was like you know it was it was quite kind of dramatic and I just remember the the stress there being um sitting there and this Davide Boifava who was the owner of the team uh talking to us uh, and I remember that day specifically because you know it was one of those days where I wasn't I was there for the obviously we were there to see my dad but I, I just remember that um uh, I was just playing in the beach in San Sebastian all day long and I had no idea what was going in the race but you know uh, the San Sebastian beach San Sebastian beach is just amazing and I always had this 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 memory of a, a cool beach day and then ended up waiting in the lobby hours for my dad to come back from hospital so I think that was kind of the first memories I had about uh, my dad my dad always tells me about a story which uh, I believe that uh, I you know, I, I can picture myself now telling him the story, but I just didn't remember the content. And uh, he was saying, oh, we were doing this criterium, after criterium, and um, every lap I was trying, go Miguel, go Miguel, so Miguel Indurain. <laughs> and after the race, my dad comes up and he says, why are you shouting for Miguel Indurain? And I was like, but daddy, he won the tour. And, you know, obviously at that moment, I wasn't realizing that dad had won the tour a couple of years ago. <laughs> and he always laughed. But I can picture myself saying, go Miguel, go Miguel. But I, d I don't remember all the rest of the story around it. And it was just my dad uh, uh, talking about it uh, then. And, um, but yeah, I, I probably was around five, six. Before that, I don't really remember. <laughs> that's brilliant. Well, that leads me to my next question then. Because if that's your earliest memory of cycling, you can't tell me that when I was five years old, I wanted to be a professional cyclist. Because if you're looking and going, ah, if you crash off your bicycle, you end up with a smashed up head and uh, in hospital. So 
you know, when did you first ride a bike? I guess is the first question. And then when did you start to think, yeah, I want to be like my dad? So uh, I, deep inside of me, I think I always had something about being a cyclist because, um, you know, I, I just remember that my games in the back garden was just to race my sister around. And we used to go down in the garage and already from a very young age, probably around four or five, we used to go down in the garage, uh, dress up, take my dad's clothes. So we must have been more, we must have been six, seven of my, because my sister's two years younger. So she would have been, a couple, she would have been around five and I would have been, yeah, six, seven. And um, I remember just going down in the garage, putting up the clothes and racing around, uh, racing around the garden. And, um, and you know, I, I would be Tony Rominger, she'd be Capucci and, <laughs> uh, and we'd have, you know, we, we'd fake a crash and we, we had laps in the tour and, you know, going in the back garden, there was a bit of a drag and that would be like, you know, the Abdouez or the climb and on the top. And we had, we had, you know, lots of imagination as, as you can think of. Um, but afterwards I, I remember coming to one of my mates went and did to me, we were going to, to play football as most kids do in one mate's back garden. And um, I, I was living in a small village in, in, in France, uh, close to Paris. But the good thing about being in a small village is you can you go everywhere by bike and there was no problems with cars or safety back then. So, um, and apparently I was, I was always on the top, tip of my, uh, pedaling with the tip of my feet. And my friend one day just said, but Nico, why are you always pedaling with the tip of your feet rather than being, you know, with the, with the pedals underneath your, your, in the middle of your foot? And I said, oh yeah, because I'm getting used to it for one day when I go older and have cleats. So I think, you know, by saying that, I had clearly in mind that I was going to be a cyclist at some stage. And you've been watching then clearly to see that. That's an attention to detail that a kid of that age wouldn't normally have. No, uh, I mean, I, th I think the guy thought I was being crazy. So what is he talking about? Cleats, you know, uh, and, 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 and cleats on, your, on the very end of your, your, your toes. But, um, but no, at the time, you know, I, I was very fast runner. So I did cross country uh, running and my mother was a runner. So I was in their uh, kind of local club where, in, in Paris. And then um, after running, I, uh, I was a little bit more sociable. So uh, all my friends from school went in and they were in the local uh, football club so then I started playing football uh, and at the end of that year so when I was 11 we my parents decided to move back to Ireland because it was I was in Ireland till about five and then from five to eleven back in France uh, and my parents decided to move back to Ireland and when I went back to Ireland um, I went to a football club um, and then also um, we moved in September uh, October, sorry, August, and the, obviously the last race of the year was in September, just before the school started. And my dad said, ah, I'm going to go, and it's the annual, you know, it's the last race. of So it was called the Boot Inn, which was a um, a weekly race in the back of the airport in Dublin. And he says, ah, it's the last race, and they do the prize giving for the year, they like the kind of awards night. So um, uh, I'm, I'm going there kind of as a guest, do you want to go? There's also a kids race. And I had no clothes, no idea, and I said, all right, sure. So um, my mom had a, had a bike, so I jumped on my mom's bike. Uh, I always remember we, we stopped in Joe Daly's in, in Dundrum to get me a pair of uh, cleats, which <laughs> uh, we put cleats on kind of randomly, uh, got a helmet, and went to, the, uh, went to the race. And that evening I was second, 
And uh, unfortunately for me, it was the last race of the year. But uh, what I did do is ask for Santa Claus to bring me a bike in the winter. So um, I got my first kind of personal bike then when I was uh, that winter of, uh, might have been 97 or 98, uh, back in Ireland. And uh, from then I kind of started cycling. So I played soccer for a while, then went to Blackford College at uh, stop soccer and play, um, play rugby, but I still cycled. And then um, uh, did my cruces ligaments, and I had no more choice than uh, cycling was the only therapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, for sure. I can't imagine going to play football whenever you've got a chance to ride bikes, be it bicycles or motorbikes. I definitely think you chose uh, the right path. Uh, you got to be happy with that. Um, you clearly had a big engine right from the off. You said you were running fast. Uh, once you got on a bike, you were second with some <laughs> just cleats botched to <laughs> your shoes that's that's uh, a nice one when you think about it when your father had been a Tour de France winner in 87 everyone would think yeah silver spoon in your mouth just you're gonna have the best of gear best of bikes these shoes coming from this company was uh, Nicholas Roach already emblazoned on the back of them but it's never the case is it no it's not the case but um, uh, that's one of the things that I did have to face when I was uh, young is a lot of people thought that uh, uh, because I was the son of uh, I did have everything done for me and uh, prob probably you know people speculating that I had a mechanic and at home and I had the best bike the best wheels the whatever and I remember with my pocket money actually going down to to buy a pair of, uh, of wheels of my own and, and when I think about it the wheels must have weighed three ton but I really <laughs> wanted them because so my dad had his own brand of bikes and he gave me the the, the, the most cheaper one of the collection which was perfectly fine uh, and it was a nice blue and um, the, the lettering was white and around the white there was an orange uh, like little line and I, I just remember seeing in this bike shop these uh, rims which, uh, that were completely orange but I obviously I had no idea about if they were good or bad I just liked that they were orange and I'd saved all my pocket money to go and buy um, these pair of wheels and obviously they were, they were not good at all they were more of a, like a fixie type wheel that I kind of changed with a hub uh, to be a proper road bike wheel, but they were heavier than the bike itself. But I just wanted to have that orange wheels to go with uh, with the matching bike. Obviously, that was my first year. Uh, second year, I started to look into a little bit more details about the bike. But um, I actually had a um, let, let's say my first kind of decent bike um, at the end of junior. So I was uh, second year junior. Um, and no first year junior sorry and there I got like a proper bike which was let's say not better than my mates but racing standard but until then um, my dad always said that he wasn't going to spoil me that it was one of the uh, that I had to kind of prove myself before I made it up with better bikes and shoes and everything like that so I kind of you know looking back it was probably it was probably hard on me but uh, I'm kind of happy things worked out this way because I think I was always hungry for more and I always, it was like having a re reward. And I think having, you know, when you're, when you're fighting for someone to get some, for fighting for something to try and get this reward and it's kind of, it keeps the motivation going. And, and even when you turn pro, it was something that I found with the teams that, that pushed me, that wanted more from me, I was able to give a lot more where in some of the teams where they were easily satisfied with me, you kind of lay back a little bit and it's like, why should I push more? Because, you know, I'm not getting the, the, the stimulation that, that that's pushing you to go the extra mile. 
and and I think all that comes from you know I, as long as my bike was clean and my shoes were clean, uh, that was the important thing. <laughs> yeah, that was something your dad I'm sure thought about. That was a calculated decision because pro cycling, from what I know, uh, especially it's not just as bad now because uh, things have changed. But back in the eighties and nineties, where you had to. Uh, up and leave home and go and live somewhere where you may not have spoken the language he knew it was a tough word so what's the point in uh, when your kid says yeah I want to be a professional cyclist well saying yeah here you go here's your bike here's your kit there you go because you need to instill a, a real want and a hunger in them because that's what you need whenever you're climbing up mountains the way you guys do in the Tour de France you guys are tapped in the head as I always say yeah, to do yeah. what you do you have to be <laughs> because if you've got uh, an easy upbringing where uh, everything just handed to you then how are you going to have that once so that's something yeah that I'm sure your dad understood what he was doing yeah uh, once again totally agree with you um, I, I think there is there is a thing where and you actually see it also with talent uh, a lot of the young guys when they're too talented very young um, once they start losing because they've been used to having it easy and they need to work at it, it it's very difficult for them and usually they don't accept it and they quit. And you see it so many times, kids are 15, 16, and they're absolutely flying and it's easy for them. And yeah, they, they do everything wrong the whole week. They don't care about anything, but on the weekend, they're just kicking everybody's bottom. But the minute they start losing or with the age start going into, let's say more competitive categories, uh, and there you start finding guys who are talented and who also want it and train hard. Yep. Uh, and a lot of these guys who, who kind of had it easy the first few years because they were just talented, um, they, they kind of quit and, and give up. So I think the, 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 the hunger and the personality um, definitely plays a, plays a big part. Yeah, that's something I remember from when we were kids. We grew up racing motocross as well. And it does happen, especially in a... A place like Ireland because it's a, a case of being a big fish in a small pond so mm -hmm. in motocross and when we grew up there might have been kids that were dominating and it was easy for them they would have won every Saturday and they just kind of turned up and uh, arrived they won the race they got a burger at lunch they got some uh, <laughs> you know sugary cola bottles and just uh, went out and won the next race and that happened every uh, weekend for a few years and then uh, the British Championships would come up it was like yeah it's time to make the next step let's go to the UK and you get your ass kicked. And then uh, those kids went from everything was so easy to now I'm getting my ass kicked. Oh, I don't like this anymore because winning was easy. So in a way, being a big fish in a small pond uh, is not a good recipe for success. I think you have to be challenged right from the off when you're a kid. You almost got to lose first, don't you? If you win uh, and you win easily, then that's the wrong message. I think you almost have to lose when you're a kid to make you work harder. Yeah, uh, and like... Like you said, just especially in Ireland where you're straight away a champion when you start winning a first race because competition is so is so low. And I think, I mean, over the years, um, things have changed and evolved and it has gone more professional. Like, uh, I don't know how it is in, in motorbike racing, but definitely in cycling, that the level in Ireland is a lot more competitive than, than when I had started. But, uh, but, but I remember straight away when you were winning in Ireland, you were you're the man of the island, you know, and then, yeah, once you went abroad, it was back to reality. Yeah. And you didn't have to go too far. You didn't have to go on the continent. You just went to the UK and it was already a different world. So uh, we were talking about then 
whenever you were uh, riding as a junior. So 2002, you won the, the junior Irish championships then. So you must have been about 18, you were still a teenager. Um, were you in Ireland or in France at that stage? Were you back and forward? So yeah, it was uh, it was the junior tour, so that was a funny story. Um, so I had moved back to France um, in, in, two, in, nine, no, in 2001, I think. No, 2000, yeah, in 2001 I had moved back to France. Um, uh, and I wanted to go and race um, the junior tour. And the Irish team told me that um, nope, because they weren't interested in, in me because I wasn't racing in Ireland. And I said, yeah, but I'm winning races in France. And she says, yeah, but we don't know your level if you're good enough for the national team. And I said, you know, I was kind of angry because I, when you're a kid, it was one of my kind of dreams to be, you know, you, you want to be on an Irish team, on, on the Irish national team. And uh, the Irish national team didn't want me at the time. They told me that no, because I was racing abroad, they didn't know if my level was good enough. And I was like, guys, I'm winning races in France. I'm good enough. Okay. So anyway, I went to Ireland. And uh, with, a, with a bunch of friends, we, we did our own team. Um, things worked out okay. I was fourth on, on, um, in the race and I won the first year. So the white jersey kind of ch challenged a young rider. And the year after, um, I told him that uh, I was going to come back and, and win it. Uh, you got to be a bit cocky sometimes. <laughs> and um, so they called me and said, Ah, Nico, uh, maybe if you want to do the Irish tour with uh, the national championship, the national team, uh, it'd be good. No, I said, nope, you didn't want me last year when I asked for it. I'm going to come this year and I'm going to win. Uh, and I was really happy. Uh, so I gathered up a bunch of mates from, from Nice. Uh, and there was only... So normally teams were for... for four riders but uh, I couldn't find a fourth mate so <laughs> we went just three of us uh, a friend of mine drove the car um, in Ireland and uh, um, to be able to we were we were in three different clubs here in in Nice and Antibes so what we did is um, my dad had his training camps in in Mallorca and he had like uh, marketing jerseys uh, that he used to sell as souvenirs so we we rode as a Stephen Roach team uh, for that and uh, we won I think we won four out of the seven stages or three out of the six stages but we won most of the stages uh, and I won two stages and uh, and the GC and the mountains jersey and I, I was quite uh, I was quite happy with myself there because it was one thing saying oh, I'm coming back and I'm gonna win and it was another thing doing it but um, yeah, it kind of worked out uh, pretty well and I, I was I think there was only the third or the fourth rider who who wore the jersey from day one till till the end so uh, it's one of my good kind of uh, cycling souvenirs from when I was junior was at the uh, junior tour of Ireland I didn't realize that then I've seen the, the photo then it makes sense because I thought that was like a junior Irish uh, championships now I get you that that was a junior tour so yeah, that that's why you're, you're wearing a, a different kit and that's uh, <laughs> something that actually I think I have the Stephen Road shorts now on the photo I, I send you yeah um, <laughs> I'll double check but uh, yeah and then it was the the leader's jersey yeah, you got um, the, the arm warmers uh, rolled down. Yeah, it wasn't hot. The teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in Ireland, getting the arm warmers down, it must have been Yeah, the, whole, the full uh, Stephen Roach shorts and gloves and a cap. <laughs> but, but there again, that was it. They, they laid down the gauntlet uh, by uh, not really giving you permission. So there was the hunger. It was like, I'm going to come back and show you. And that's, that's something that a racer needs to have because you just kind of accept that and be like oh yeah rules are rules but yeah you said um, no, I'm going back next year I'm winning and you backed it up then 
Um, that's that's a racer. Um, that's definitely in your blood. So uh, a few years after that as well, then still as you were amateur, then um, were you top three in the Irish Nationals? Um, yeah, well, I've um, I've had a few. So I've won the road twice and the time trial twice. But back uh, then, whenever you were still amateur, did you compete uh, ah, uh, uh, a few years afterwards? Yeah, you're right, actually. You're right. Uh, in 2000, must have been 2003, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's cool isn't it going from like a junior tour winner to then just stepping up and then be like yeah let's see how the big boys do it and exactly. matching up to them I think it was up in was it in Sligo or something like that I think it could have been in Sligo uh, I have brief memories now of it I remember being with Marseille and all that but uh, uh, and I think it was David McCann who won or Lachlan one or the other but uh, yeah oh I had forgotten about that one. <laughs> hey, oh, there's Wikipedia and saw that one. Because yeah. I, I was reading it and I was like, uh, I knew when you'd won uh, your Irish national titles uh, as a pro then, but whenever uh, you'd sent me that picture of uh, you in the junior tour and then afterwards I was like looking on Wikipedia and I was like, yeah, Nico, even as an amateur, competed in uh, the elites and uh, was up in there. So I imagine seeing that surname and being the other guys again, that probably was the case. Oh, yeah, here's Roach. I guess he's going to be coming, he's going to have all the best kit and all the rest. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not the case, because you're, you're just coming uh, as a cyclist, you're an amateur, so they're, they're not going to hand you everything, because that's quite a few years, if we're talking 15 years or more, after your dad had um, really dominated that year in 1987, so mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're all just numbers in our sports, people move on, so you're not going to be gifted with anything same as if a kid of Miguel Enderin came he wouldn't be gifted with anything as well because there's so many uh, new kids come along you got to show some prospect before you're gonna get handed an opportunity yeah I mean even see it like even even today in um, in those development teams um, so for example today in, in Team Sunweb they also have a development team and they do not have the same equipment as we are so they do quite a quite a big international calendar and they do World Cups and everything but for example, our bike is called the S5. They have the S3, which is the model below. Instead of having the Durace brakes, they have the um, uh, the one just below Durace. Uh, forgot the name Altegra. now. Altegra, thanks. Altegra. <laughs> thanks, I'll, thanks for that. I'll keep your eye right on the, the Yeah, exactly. The Altegra, instead of having the, the, the whatever carbon wheels, they have the model underneath. So even, even at this kind of level where these guys are almost professional and uh, yeah, okay, they are a bit spoiled, they have a, a camper van to go to the race or whatever, but in terms of actually racing equipment, they're, they're still kept pretty uh, pretty uh, uh, controlled, where, you know, if you go to, to some of the local races here um, in, in Nice or in Monaco, and you see kids that are 15 and they have the best bike, the best wheels, the best everything, they're not winning races, not not specifically, but uh, um, but already then in Devo teams, they, they kind of keep it uh, quite controlled. But a funny story about Wikipedia. Um, so when I decided in 2003 that I was going to give it a go uh, and not go to university and I was going to take a year out to go and turn professional, um, my friends in school, for my, so my birthday was in beginning of July. Uh, so it was just after the exams that were finished in June. So before everybody went on holidays, they decided to do uh, like a pre-birthday party. So four of my mates... They organized, so they, they picked me up at, at the house, um, blindfolded me, and we drove. And one of my friends had like this little sailing boat, was you know, probably uh, like three or four meter one, so like really like tiny one to just to go on the port basically. 
and um, but it was really nice. They they had organized uh, like a little aperitivo, so there was a bottle of wine, a bit of salami and chips and pizza. It was very very simple. But anyway, that night, so they opened up and we sat there, and it was like two three other mates uh, joined us there. So there must have been five or six of us in total, and. One of my birthday gifts was uh, a contract, a pro cycling contract. Um, they, are, they, they were quite aware of my passion for chocolate. So they gave me a pro contract with, uh, uh, from Team Nutella. <laughs> uh, and they had a like, you know, proper written Team Nutella uh, contract, Nicholas Roach, uh, contracted by Team Nutella, rep- represented it by Conta Camu, Jan and Matthias and... The, the full names were there uh, and it was like starting on 1st September 2003 um, no limit in time and then they had a few like nice words about our friendship and how friendship should go through the years even though one was going to go to university uh, one of our mates was going to uh, to Argentina for, for two years to do a course in um, uh, microeconomy in a developing country so everyone was kind of exploding of our group but uh, I had that contract, and we 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 don't do not know if how this story came up. But in my previous teams in Wikipedia, uh, when you look in two thousand three, they had Nicholas Roach Team Nutella. So <laughs> what what we had done in a joke, I don't know if some I told it one day to a journalist and told him the story, and someone listened to the article or was misunderstood. But uh, officially on Wikipedia, I cycled for Team Nutella and I obviously did a you know, screenshot and sent it to all our mates and we had such a laugh. But, and I asked him, I said, was it one of you guys who, because you know, if you log on Wikipedia, you can go and change the, the data. I said, was it one of you guys who, 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 who did that just for the crack? Uh, and they all said, no, 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 we, we, no one did it. So I'm pretty sure it was uh, one day I told this story to a journalist and... Um, and next up, uh, I was on uh, Wikipedia writing for Team Nutella. And I said I have this contract. I, I, That's what I was going to Have you still got it then? I have the contract, yeah. Oh, it, it was, but I mean, it was so nice. And, you know, at that moment, I was just full of dreams and ambitious. And I was just quite nervous to take a year out of school. I just had, I had a massive argument with my parents who, who did not want me to, to drop out of school. And I said, no, 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 it's too important. It's too hard. You need at least... And I was young. I was only 19. And they had said, no, 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 you know, at that time you turned professional at 22, 23. Uh, things changed now. Today in modern cycling, kids turn to pro at 19, 20. But back then it was more about 22, 23. So, but I was ambitious. I like, no, 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 I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Uh, but I was nervous and uh, I thought it was one of the, <laughs> the coolest uh, birthday gifts that I had. A lifetime contract in a cycling team. Right, you got to frame that. That's got to be pride of place. Uh, yeah, when I have my garage, uh, oh, yeah. it's going to go in the garage, proper frame with my bike museum. Oh, <laughs> my first real contract. So uh, you were at school at that time. So uh, what were you studying? And if you hadn't uh, decided to become a pro cyclist, um, what direction do you think you would have went in? Um, so I, I, was, I was looking forward to go towards uh, economics. Uh, my dad at the time had a hotel in, in Villeneuve-Loubet. So I was most likely to go into hotel management. And um, actually, a couple of weeks before um, that decision, um, I had started looking at a university and doing applications. And unfortunately, I quickly realized that um, most of the hotel schools or hotel management schools 
uh, were very, very strict on your days missing school. And I was only allowed like, you know, three days per semester. And going racing abroad, um, most times, you know, I was leaving on the Thursday and coming back on the Monday most weeks. So I just realized that was just going to be impossible. So, um, but I had looked into going towards um, hotel management and doing a proper uh, hotel restaurant school. Yeah, I can imagine for your parents as well, seeing you make that decision, oh, the stress for a parent, because that's all in, isn't it? Once mm-hmm. you leave school and you're like, no, I'm going to make it as a cyclist, then difficult to say what uh, percentage of um, riders actually make it through to be professional, but it ain't a, a big number, so I can understand <laughs> parents. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it would have been bad parenting if they said, oh yeah, son, go ahead, we'll be there, we'll support you. I think that would have been very bad parenting. Um, they did support me and I was quite lucky that in a way that my dad made it hard for me but in the end also gave me the opportunity because we eventually made a deal with my dad and uh, I told him that um, you know he he actually he told me he says Nico you're not professional you're trying to be professional so you're gonna have to work uh, I'm not um, so obviously you know we were, when you're amateur you get like a little uh, a few expenses paid here and there from the team, but it's not to be able to, you, you know, you're not going to live off it, but just enough to survive. Um, and back in the days, uh, because I was in the um, uh, top ranked in, in, in the world, I was getting also a government grant from the Sports Council to, uh, to support. Um, so at the time it worked that um, the, the Sports Council helped you out uh, with buying uh, material so you know if I had uh, if I had to buy a new pair of wheels um, um, I, I would use a sports grant and send them the receipts and so obviously you had a cap for the year depending on where you were in your world status but um, that made a huge difference for me and I've always been very um, very thankful to to have the sports council who supported me actually even my first year's pros I was still on the on a sports grant from from Ireland and it made a huge difference when you're when you're turning pro you think you know you're you're gonna make good money, but you're not not the first years, uh, and there is a lot of expenses with dietitians and going to massage, physios, and all adds up. You know when you're spending a hundred, one hundred fifty euro a week on 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 massage, it, at the end of the month it's like an extra rent. But anyway, to go back to the to my dad's story, um, he agreed that, um, or he gave me the chance. He says you're not gonna be uh, chasing dreams, so uh, the deal is. Um, you believe you can do it? All right, uh, but you got one year. If at by the end of next year you're not, uh, you didn't get a pro contract, um, you're gonna go back to to university, and uh, you're not gonna get a second chance. So um, um, just you know, you you think you're ready? Well, okay, it's your it's your go. Give it, wow. but um, I'm not gonna let you chase dreams and you wake up one day at twenty five. Uh, chasing dreams of professional uh, athlete, and you know, then then you have no chance of um, stepping in another direction. So at least when you're 21, there's always time to go back to university, and your mind is still fresh. Uh, you know, if I had to go back to university now, uh, my mind would just completely explode. You you use you you lose all your mechanism. <laughs> but um, anyway, so he had a hotel. So the plan was, I worked six months. I was doing about, he exploited me, I was doing about 70 <laughs> hours a week, but I absolutely loved it, you know, organizing weddings, uh, private corporate parties, 
but I did everything from cleaning the rooms to maintenance to plumbing to you know the little works that you have to do in the gardening and and all that uh, but also even in in as in serving uh, even gave a hand in the kitchen so everywhere that, where I had to be or where there was work I had to do it so it was quite good it was a great um, great life experience because it was my first work experience um, I mean proper work experience and then what happened was um, so I traveled so that was started in September till April and then uh, in April is when I wasn't racing I'd go and do a couple of hours here and there so I would work like 10 15 hours a week um, and I had loads of times to go out uh, training so it was um, it was quite good my, my dad gave me the, the minimum wage so I had uh, just a bit of a uh, money to be able to, to kind of move about um, and in the end so like I said they 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 made it very clear that it wasn't going to be easy and they didn't make it easy for me but I think they did it in a very <clears throat> very nice way they gave me the opportunity and the chance and I took the chance to, to give it a proper try but I also had to you know work and, and do something on the side it wasn't a Annika don't worry go, go on the bike you can worry about work and, and money later on so they 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 didn't make it easy for me, but I was lucky that my dad had the hotel where I could go and work, and then he was able to to change my my schedule that I can work double shifts in the winter and then have half the work then during the year. So all these other things uh, kind of gave me a chance to to achieve it as well. Yeah, when your dad gave you that kind of one year window to to make it as a pro, um, and your instincts are gonna be, I gotta work my ass off to make these twelve years count. And the little I know about cycling preparation is that you got to do uh, the miles, but when you're not riding, you got to be putting the feet up. So that was almost like dangerous territory that you're in because you were having to burn the candle at both ends to try and make it. So it would have been easier, definitely, if you'd just been yeah, 12 months on, um, go ride your bicycle and it's safe, you can make it as a pro. But you were juggling a, a job as well as being a cyclist whenever a cyclist is supposed to be really putting their feet up when they're not riding their bike so that must have been pretty tiring that year yeah but once again you're only amateur so you, you, like like my dad says says yeah you're you're trying to be professional you, you're not professional yet so it's also part of the um, part of the experience but it's funny stories because for example you know um, early that year um there was there used to be all these races in in southern france so tour med and and all these races who were uh, based around Nice, and uh, my dad always hosted a, a couple of pro teams, and one of the teams was Cofidis. And um, it was quite funny that when they were there, I was actually working as a as a waiter, and I was you know doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner for them, uh, and serving them. And and literally, so this must have been in March, and in July, I was doing my first training camp as a stagiaire with Cofidis. Uh, six months later so uh, they, sometimes I, I meet some of the mechanics and they all say ah oh, Nico I remember <laughs> you in 2000 so 2004 I remember you in 2004 when um, when we stayed in your dad's hotel and, and you were there um, serving us uh, breakfast and everything and and literally six months later I signed my pro contract with them wow. so as a stagiaire do you sign a contract before that or as a stagiaire kind of uh, uh, as it means like a, a trainee opportunity yeah, for one it's, it's a full-on train no it's not even it was uh it's three months training three months mm. that's a short window so exactly so i went 
um, in July I wasn't stagiaire. In July I was a, a guest to their training camp. And then the official stagiaire season is August, September, October. Uh, and after that July training camp, they said, okay, we'll sign him as a stagiaire, our trainee. So each team can only have three trainees per year uh, for those three months. So um, uh, I was one of them for Cofidis. And um, in September, then um, uh, I had a really good result um, um, in Grand Prix Eastberg as a... <laughs> As a trainee in a house tent in in my kind of one of my first ever pro races, so then they they signed me a contract from two thousand five onwards. So I was quite uh, quite happy. Had my <laughs> had my goals done. But like as you say, and knowing you guys, uh, I haven't spoken to a few guys over a uh, beer and a lunch and dinner about your early years. Whenever you sign your first pro contract, you're not on uh, six figures. It's not easy because they give you. Uh, a small salary to kind of live off and it's not like you're going to sign that contract and then uh, put the feet up and go I've made it because uh, it ain't that big a salary is it? No totally I mean uh, I still remember my, my first salary was 2.4 a month so like I said when you start paying rent uh, and all the costs that you have on the side uh, there's not much left on the side for uh, yeah, so that's for, for saving and that's minimum wage really isn't it so yeah well it's a bit more than minimum wage in France but uh, it, it's it's minimum wage in, in cycling anyway it was I think it was thirty seven gross so once you take all your taxes or whatever so uh, it, it's not uh, it's, it's definitely not as far from six figures but um, but but um, where where was I going yeah it, it's just uh, Today, once again, cycling's changed and there's a lot of like real young talents who are already signing on, on big numbers. But back in the days, it was very traditional. It was like, all right, your first contract is that money and it was almost everyone the same. <laughs> uh, and, and then you kind of grew in your second, third contract, etc. But, uh, but no, it was, uh, it was quite hard, especially the first few years. You're, you know, you're, I, I was 20, you, once in a while you go buy yourself a nice pair of jeans and you've blown your <laughs> you've blown your budget for the months but it was part of it you know and there was months where I was like oh you know you, you think you're, you're you're actually making you know most of your friends are in university or in school and uh, and their dream is making two grand a month uh, and, and you're making two grand a month and you, you think you know you don't know what to do with it but you, you realize that at the end of the day you also have so many expenses with uh, with the lifestyle of a, of a cyclist as in you know like I said all, all the the cost of um of looking after yourself with masseurs and and physio and all that yeah but uh, when you sign your first contract in cycling then i can imagine in a sport like that because on our grid we've got around 20 riders and for a grand tour there's just in a grand tour alone there's 180 riders i don't even know how many riders there are uh on uh, the pro tour is an incredible number over the year uh so in in pro tour i think there's was it 19 teams or 18 teams of roughly 25, 26? So it's wow. around 450 riders, I'd say. Well, there you go. That's, uh, that's yeah, what just I mean. under 500, yeah. And I think globally, there's, there's I think it's about 1,200 in the world, uh, like between the continental teams and the continental pro teams. Uh, I think that doubles up again. So I'd say around, yeah, 1,200, 1,300 cyclists in, professional wow. cyclists in the world. So what I'm getting at there then is that a lot of guys probably get uh, a contract as a pro, but probably your first contract isn't important. I imagine it's the second one because your first one's an opportunity. If you don't make it, 
you're out. So yeah. the second one is the key. It's very common that uh, riders just have one or two contracts. I think that um, in terms of statistics, the average career is around seven years, so it's quite uh, quite short. Um, I'm, I'm pushing the statistics the other way. Yeah, you double um, them. Yeah, double them, exactly. So that also means that this rider is only doing two years. If I'm pushing them that the other way, there's got to be riders pushing it the other way, uh, the wrong way, unfortunately, for them. But uh, no, the... the, the um, I always said that I have my little brother now who, who's in the situation I was back then. Uh, he's 20 and he's pushing to, to go. Uh, so he did the other way. He went to university first and then pushed one year and then he realized he couldn't do both. So he dropped out. He decided to drop out of university for a year. So he's in, he's in that year at the moment. Um, he's not as, you know, he's not getting the results that he he was expecting and he's not progressing the way he, he thought he would going to uh over the year but um i had the, the similar talk with him saying you know you have to realize that you're struggling to turn pro but the big step is staying pro yeah uh and, and i'm really uh, and those are exactly the words that i told him is is like you know it, it's turning pro is not going to be it's not it's not it's not the end of the line is staying pro is is the biggest thing and, and you know even at the moment now uh, with with age I'm on the other side where uh, a lot of the teams are telling me that uh, that I'm too old and they want to invest in in young riders and I've given my best it's like yeah I agree with that but I still have quite some years in me but uh, it seems that um, uh, at any point in your career um, it's always challenging to uh, to renew renew your contract and um, doesn't matter how good you are because then uh, even when you're good, it's about finding the team that suits you, the contract that suits you, the financial situation that suits you with your level. So, uh, and there's not many teams. The financial situation in cycling is very unstable. So, uh, so even when you talk with some of the the bigger riders who are on much bigger salaries, even them at their level kind of struggle to sustain um, at a, at a good salary uh, and uh, in teams that give them opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's a it's a tough old world, and I know from uh, living among cyclists here in Monaco the last uh, seven years, there's so many teams have dropped out, and even guys that have been signed on for a couple of year contracts then had to find a job halfway through it because the teams folded. And unfortunately, that's just how the economy is. For the last ten years, things have changed, even in our sport and car racing as well. Back in the days of cigarette money. I just wish they'd bring that back. Get get the old cigarette money back yeah. again. Get the get the alcohol in too. <laughs> get the alcohol in. Yeah, if uh, not just for the Sunday night parties alone, that would, <laughs> that would make it interesting. But it's a different game now. It's interesting you were saying as well that your sport has changed then uh, too for guys coming in as first year pros. Is that because of lab testing now that you're almost a lab rat and see if a guy's got potential rather than just going and racing and seeing what they've got? No, I I think that now when when a young, I mean, with the, those development teams, they they have an idea because they're racing at almost professional level and they have a lot more exposure than when than us a couple of years ago. But I think uh, teams they're 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 looking to develop always around the next big rider. So when kind of a young rider emerges or shows potential, there's a, there's a few teams that really really want to grab him, and you know a little bit of speculation and good for him. Uh, a few teams bid in and he gets a extra big salary and you hear it for for some riders and 
and it's just like everything it's a bit uh that the, the market is always uh, one thing and then the reality is another some some riders teams speculate on them and spend a fortune and the rider just does not progress yeah. and there's other riders who uh who, who get a who are maybe understated for for a year and they have a, a hard first year adapting but then the second year they're flying and they're paid uh, on the um, on the still a very low contract so i mean that's that's the market is the as having the, the the good feeling, being there at the right moment, but also in a team that needs you. There there are years where you find yourself that um, you know maybe the team you're in is not a team that needs you, and then the salary goes down because when they try to renegotiate, nego- you're not as important to them as maybe to another team. So there's always speculation about with teams and 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 contracts. It's uh, uh, we're actually full on this this period at the moment. August is kind of the contract month, um, uh, and uh, you just have to to fight and and find agreements um, with uh, with a team. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of perks for these jobs that we're in, but I think the biggest one is the fact that we're unemployed every either twelve months or twenty four months. Yeah. <laughs> that's M- mentally is hard. <laughs> That's a tough thing, and it it's great whenever you do sign that contract. But whenever the new season starts, and for for me, the last couple of years getting injured as well, whenever mm-hmm. it's been contract time, it isn't easy, and that's that's all part of it. You know, there's a lot of perks, but um, <laughs> I think the drawbacks are often overlooked. Um, so thanks for being the first cyclist on the show. Um, thanks. I, w- I want it to be the three uh, Paddy Irish cyclists <laughs> on the show. So next we'll have Philip Dagnan and Philip Dagnan and uh, Sam Bennett. So Sam today has just won his third stage again in a row. In yeah. a row, oh. he won three in a row. The the boys on fire. So I can't believe it. Yeah, my wife Pippa is just in Barcelona with uh, Sam's fiance for her hen party there. So I'm sure they're <laughs> going to be celebrating. They're going to find an Irish bar <laughs> for sure next in Guinness. So. Yeah, thanks for being the, the first in the show. We'll get the other two patties on, uh, wind uh, Sam up a little bit. It'll yeah. be good fun. Well, good luck with your podcast. I think there's uh, there's loads of stories to be heard from all the the athletes that we can have here around Monaco and obviously when you're traveling around. So uh, it was a good initiative that you, you started this thing because you know I think there's a lot of potential uh, funny stories and more serious stories to be to be heard of from, from all our, our our contacts around, uh, around where we are. So good on you for starting this up yeah cheers it's something that's good fun isn't it as well it's a matter of sitting down with a, a mate i think that's the nice thing is that we're all friends here yeah. and we can all just uh it's chewing the fat really and talking about old times because everybody likes talking about the good old days yeah <laughs> that's essentially what we're it doing it makes you feel better yeah <laughs> <laughs> makes us feel young again yeah exactly <laughs> all right cheers nico cheers